My name is John Cullen, and I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and curling. It's the story of Broomgate, how a single broom, yes, a broom, turned friends into foes and almost killed the 500-year-old sport of curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now. You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. When Uber first began arriving in Canadian cities, in many cases, before it was legal, taxi drivers were nervous. And then, very quickly after seeing Uber's low rates and lack of regulation up close, that nervousness vanished. It was replaced by anger. And you may remember some of the demonstrations. Hundreds of Montreal taxi drivers gathered in protest this morning against Uber. I'm not, because this is against the law. If I don't pay a fine, I'm going to get seized. And they, these guys, they come out of nowhere, they come out of, of a cell phone, and they're allowed to, to not obey a law. You know what the government going to do? There will be no clothes, there will be no money. Taxi driver is going to be all naked. It soon became clear, though, that the battle against ride-sharing was close to unwinnable. It became clear that no amount of protests or lobbying or begging various governments to protect the taxi industry would ever send Uber packing. So the battle turned to what could still be won. Regulations on Uber, fewer regulations on taxis. For most cab drivers, it turned from a fight to save their industry into a fight to salvage what they could. You will notice that I said, most cab drivers. Because there was one man for whom the war against Uber was personal. One man who saw the ride-sharing service breaking the law and saw the police refusing to act. And so he acted. This is the story of Montreal's taxi sheriff. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Marcello De Cintio is the author of five books, including his latest, which includes the story we're discussing today. It's called Driven, Secret Lives of Taxi Drivers. Hello, Marcello. Hello. Could you maybe zoom out a bit and kind of explain the dynamic uh, around the time we're beginning here with Taxi versus Uber in Montreal? Sure. So th this is back before, before Uber was operating legally. In Montreal, Uber was operating illegally. It was operating against the rules, against the taxi bureau's rules. And so uh, the taxi bureau was was ticketing Uber drivers because uh, they weren't allowed to be operating at that time in Montreal. And it, although they were ticketing drivers and although they were, you know, they were they were trying to enforce these rules, it wasn't working very well. The Uber drivers were still operating pretty freely in, in Montreal at the time. And of course, this made the traditional uh, taxi drivers in Montreal furious. And so into this comes a taxi driver named Hassan Katua. Who is he? Hassan Katua is one of the most... I love Hassan Katua. Hassan Katua is a, is a Beirut-born cabbie who you know, had, had been driving driving taxi in, in Montreal for a number of years and saw the arrival of Uber as a as a terrible injustice, uh, that th this was a uh, company that was uh, stealing business from him and his other cabbie colleagues. 
and uh, he was furious that the that the the province and the the municipality were not doing enough uh, to stop uh, Uber from operating in Montreal, and so he decided to take things into his own hands. And when you say take things into his own hands, you mean like incredibly literally. So tell me how it begins. Like how did, first of all, did he tell you where he got this idea to do it and how he got started? If I, if I remember correctly, what what Hassan was, was realizing was that allow, allowing Uber to operate outside of the law was, was almost like, it was as if taxi industry was like the wild west where the laws didn't matter, right? And so he figured what he would do is take on that idea of, of the Wild West. And so his first kind of operation against Uber, he, he had a group of, he had, he had a posse of fellow cabbies who were helping him out, all, all, all these Lebanese guys. And they all dressed up as cowboys, you know, with, with like dollar store costumes, uh, um, plastic guns and cowboy hats and bandanas around their necks. And... So, th- so this is what they did. They had one of their one of their posse who was not dressed as a cowboy ordered an Uber, and uh, and asked to be dropped off at this certain point. And when when the when the car stopped, all these cowboys kind of surrounded the car to to distract the uh, driver. And while they were doing that, the passenger who was in on the in on the scheme, you know, s- snatches the the guy's cell phone off of the dashboard bracket. And like steals it and hands it over to Hassan. And Hassan was clearly the sheriff of this posse. He had a plastic star on his vest. And um, they handed they handed the driver uh, uh, what Hassan called a receipt. And he had done it old-timey Western style, right? He had he'd soaked this paper in tea and then singed the edges with a cigarette lighter to give it this, this old-timey Wild West look. Do you have that note? Can you read it to us? <laughs> yes. The, the note said... We have seized the machine that you are using as a weapon for your outlaw activity that is impoverishing drivers in towns and cities. You will retrieve your weapon as soon as the governor of the province and or his minister outlaw and ban the illegal activities you are engaged in and the province returns to the rule of law that it is famous for. On the one hand, that sounds awesome and cool. On the other hand, that poor like regular Uber driver who didn't ask for this. Well, I mean, what Hassan would say is that that Uber driver was operating illegally. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that, that was not, that was before Uber was allowed to operate. So, so he was in, in fact an outlaw. So what happened uh, after that stunt? Like, did the police get involved? This sounds like something that wouldn't fly under the radar for too long. No, it sure didn't. So what, what happened was uh, the, the Uber driver, the bewildered Uber driver eventually drove away. And uh, uh, Hassan and his posse were, were, they posed for a photo. There was a, there was a newspaper uh, journalist, photojournalist there, took a picture of them all kind of scowling in their, in their cowboy costumes. And he had, Hassan, Hassan had made a mock wanted poster depicting the Montreal Uber manager uh, and uh, he, with a black hat and a black mustache. And he pinned that to a tree. And then uh, he, his idea was that the guy if he wanted his phone back, he'd have to go to the taxi bureau to pick it up. And Hassan reasoned that when he did so, he would be essentially be admitting to working illegally and he would get ticketed or fined or, or something, right? Uh, but Hassan, that wasn't enough for Hassan. He didn't, he didn't bring the, the phone back to the, to the bureau right away. He, he, he wanted to wait three days just so the guy had lost a little bit of business before he got his phone back. And besides, Hassan told me, he says, it was like the Wild West. 
It was things are slower. It was as if I was sending back the phone on horseback. It takes a little bit of time. Right. Um, but that was his that was his scheme. But as soon as the police found out about this, you know, they they summoned Hassan and, and his and his cowboy crew to the police station to return the phone. And uh, uh, Hassan called his journalist friends again to, to come in and 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 you know, cover this event. And he got all the he got all the drivers to dress up in their dollar store cowboy outfits uh, and and go down to the to the to the station. Uh, Hassan told me, you know, he's like, you know, I wish I really wish I would have spent more on those costumes. I didn't realize we were, we were going to be on television that day. So when he shows up to the he shows up to the station, he gives back the phone. Some of the guys were worried they were going to be uh, arrested or, or, or charged with something, and they weren't. They were just kind of scolded and and were let go. And uh, you know, Hassan said nothing really happened, but that was the day I became the taxi sheriff, and uh, it's, it's, so began his his long uh, uh, battle against Uber in Montreal. We'll get to kind of the culmination of that battle in a few minutes, but maybe describe, um, because I know you did a lot of work on this for the book, describe some of the other things uh, that he was doing around this time. And also, like, what did Uber do? I, like, they're putting up pictures of their employees on on trees. Like, how did they respond? Well, again, because, because I, I'm not sure exactly how Uber responded to that, that initial uh, operation. I mean, Uber was operating illegally. The drivers shouldn't have been doing anything. So they, they didn't really have a legal leg to stand on at that point. But Hassan had a few other, uh, a few other operations uh, as well. Um, and some were not as elegant. He one time summoned a Uber driver to, uh, I believe, to a hotel. And then him and his cohort kind of pelted uh, the car with eggs and, and uh, flour. And then he, which, which he was then charged for like vandalism for something like that. He was charged on for that occasion. But one of my favorite things that he had done, and again, this is all, this is all before Uber became legal. Hassan had discovered Uber headquarters was on Google Maps, hmm. but he noticed that the headquarters did not have a phone number associated with it on Google Maps. So Hassan kept recommending changes to the listing on Google Maps and adding his own phone number as the Uber headquarters phone number. <laughs> he did it enough times that Google Maps accepted Hassan's cell phone as Uber headquarters phone number. So now what happened, every time anyone called uh, Uber headquarters, they would get Hassan. And Hassan would, would, would like troll them. And most of the people who called were uh, Uber drivers that were having some problem with the app, say. And so Hassan would start collecting their information, asking their dr- for their driver's license and their name and all this sort of stuff. And the, and the drivers would just would, would volunteer it. And uh, at the end of the conversation, Hassan would, would say, aha, I caught you. You shouldn't be working. You're working illegally. I'm going to report you to the to the authorities. And he would, he would record all of these calls. Um, sometimes when when a driver would call, Uber would t- or Hassan would tell them that uh, Uber was going out of business and they should stop driving and they're not going to get paid. And he's trying to get people to stop the drivers to stop driving. And occasionally he would get calls from Uber passengers who were calling to complain about their service that they had gotten. Right. And so Hassan would record all of these conversations too. And, and so it infuriated even more that not only was were these Uber drivers stealing his business, but they were, they were giving lousy service at the same time. Eventually... <laughs> Uber caught on to this, and uh, and Hassan's Hassan's friends were like, "Listen, you're taking on a big, you know, tech company. You know, they're 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 gonna they're gonna sue the pants off you if they find out." 
But Hassan wasn't worried. He's like, listen, you know, this giant tech company is being hacked by some cab driver with a cell phone. There's no way they're going to make a big deal out of this because it's embarrassing for them that they, they, they got they got fooled by by me. Mm-hmm. And it turns out he was right. You know, he eventually got they they knocked his phone number off the listing and he's been banned from having a uh, an Uber app on his phone. But uh, there was no other there's no other uh, consequences for for the taxi sheriff at that point. My name is John Cullen, and I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and curling. It's the story of Broomgate, how a single broom, yes, a broom, turned friends into foes and almost killed the 500-year-old sport of curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now. What was the taxi sheriff's end goal um, with all of this? To, like, single-handedly chase Uber out of town? To raise awareness for a campaign? Like, what was he really trying to do? You know, as Hassan's actions against Uber are, and his uh, uh, grievances against the company are, are the same with a lot of cab drivers around Canada. And it's not that they, that they wanted to kick the company out. You know, it's not that they didn't want the competition. It was that the rules were were not the same. What it took to be a cab driver and to drive taxi was far more onerous than it than it was to 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 drive Uber. So it, it was it was not a level playing field. You know, all all the regulations that the traditional uh, taxi drivers had to follow about the age of their car, the cleanliness of their car, the kind of license they needed, the kind of insurance they needed, all of these things, vehicle inspections, all of these things were were either non-existent or much much less for Uber drivers. This mm-hmm. is the, this, again, this is the case across North America, maybe maybe worldwide. So his grievances were not against Uber per se, but uh, in the case of in Montreal, against the province, that was the transport commission that was allowing uh, this to happen. So in his mind, he was going to raise awareness and, and hope the city would change the rules? He hoped the cities, the city would. It wasn't this in, in in Quebec. I believe it's the province who handles this sort of stuff. Right. But he wanted the the rules to be applied equally across the board. Whether you're driving an Uber or a Lyft or a traditional taxi, everyone should be following the same rules. That was his. That was his uh, uh, main goal. And meanwhile, Uber is still technically illegal at this point, and so he's at that point it was yeah. yeah. So he's he wants the police to enforce the law, but they won't. Right. Or that, or they, or they did so. They, they didn't very often, or you know, they, or they didn't, they didn't, they didn't, uh, um, you know, send enough. It wasn't a priority for the police to to enforce these rules. He had another. Uh, Hassan had a really good analogy that he he kind of worked into another, you know, st- uh, stunt as well. Was he 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 said to me, imagine, uh, you you own a depanur, you know, you you sell snacks and beer and wine, um, and then some guy is allowed to sit in front of your shop with a cooler full of beer and sell it at a discounted price. Hmm. He says, that's what's, that's what's happening with Uber and these other uh, app-based ride services, right? They're, they're allowed to, to operate at a, at a lower rate, offering the same you know, product you know, and, and stealing the business away. So yeah, just imagine if you were the, if you were the depreneur owner, you have to pay your rent, you have to pay your staff, you have to, you know, keep the, everything stocked up. Meanwhile, this guy is selling discounted beer out of a cooler on the sidewalk. And, and the, the idea that Uber should exist because people want it is not a good enough 
reason, you know, according to Hassan. People would also want to be able to buy cold beer for cheap in front of that, you know, out of a cooler in front of the diplomat instead of going in and paying more. So that, so what what the, what the customer wants shouldn't be how why the rules are are broken. And so, so what Hassan did, he took this analogy one step further and he called, he started what he called his taxipreneur. And so he bought a bunch of snacks uh, and, and, and stuffed them into his cab, like under the, under the, under the visors and in the glove box and some, and he had a little cooler with ice that he had soft drinks. And uh, he, he printed up a menu where he was selling all this stuff out of his mm-hmm. cab. And uh, he, he he was going to get a he's trying to get a license for uh, beer and wine also that he wanted to sell and he was going to was going to try to sell cigarettes, and um, wow. he he said too he says he said he didn't he didn't put the prices for the uh, beer and wine because he was going to do just like Uber he was going to charge more for those things when the bars shut down he, he says he called it surge pricing you know yes. in, in the same way that the, the, the you know, it takes it costs more money to take an Uber when when the demand is higher, and so he advertised his taxi panur, and he knew that the police were going to shut him down, and as and as soon as they found out about it, they did, and that was the point he was trying to make. He's like, why why is is Uber allowed to to uh, uh, offer a service at an unfair at an unfair advantage, and I'm not? You know, what's the difference between me selling snacks and beer and wine out of my cab as as the taxi panur? Right. Well, tell me um, about when this all came to a head. Uh, tell me about the quote-unquote police chase. Oh. <laughs> so, in another operation, and this is the operation that Hassan got the, the most trouble for, at least up, at least up until that time, is that he, he needed another costume for, for this other idea that he had. So, he dressed up in the same uniforms that uh, that... Montreal's police officers were wearing uh, in protest of, they believe they're having a, a, some sort of union or, or pay dispute. And so Quebec uh, police officers were wearing camouflage pants and, and, and black, uh, uh, black coats uh, in, in, in protest. So what Hassan did, is he, is he dressed like this? He, he dressed like a protesting Montreal police officer. And him and an accomplice called a Uber to come to pick them up in front of a police station. The whole point he was trying to make was if the police aren't going to go after Uber, we're going to deliver Uber to the police. And so he was dressed in his, in, in his, you know, faux police costume called the uh, uh, Uber driver over. And as soon as he arrived, he called the police out of the, out of the building and, and told them to go and arrest this, this driver who then sped off. Right. Uh, Hassan and his buddy, tried to go after them and and a, and a police officer also went after them too and 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 what ended up happening was the the police stopped Hassan and his accomplice from chasing down this driver they kind of they kind of pulled him over and and wouldn't let him wouldn't let him pursue um and then Hassan had found out that the the driver the Uber driver was never ticketed at all so a couple of days after the incident Hassan received a call from the police demanding that he turn himself in. And they charged him with uh, impersonating a police officer, using a badge or uniform article worn by police officers, and intimidating a member of the justice system. And Hassan scoffed at all these charges. He said he didn't act like a police officer. He was just wearing... He just he just called the, the the driver to the station, and it wasn't really a police costume. You know, it was these camouflage pants. I mean, he knew that he would be he would be mistaken for a police officer, but you know, in reality, it wasn't it wasn't an officer's uniform. As for the intimidation of a police officer, he thought that was ridiculous too. All he did was 
kind of was, was shout his case. But either in, in, in any way, he spent the night in prison, uh, 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 Hassan did. They took away his 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 full police outfit, gave him a you know a, a white jumpsuit, kind of like a, what Hassan compared it to like in Guantanamo Bay, except uh, except white instead of instead of orange. And they kept him overnight, and before releasing him with under conditions that he, you know, he he doesn't he doesn't attend protests or he you know, essentially if he starts to behave himself, they, they, they let him go. And so that was, that was the night that, that, that the taxi sheriff ended up sp- spending uh, behind bars for his, for his stunts. Was that enough for him? Um, is he still in this, this lifestyle today? Like the landscape has changed, right? As you mentioned earlier, Uber is, Uber is legal now. So, you know, what happened to him? Hassan kept kept his fight going against uh, uh, the transport commission. He also he also ran for a position on the taxi bureau itself. He tried, you know, he was trying everything he could do to uh, to uh, kind of level the playing field. Eventually, as you know, Uber became legalized in in Quebec, and uh, was work now working you know, within the within the law. Uh, rules were changed for taxi drivers across the board, uh, which reduced the value of his. The taxi license that he purchased when he first started was now was now useless. It was now worthless because no one needed one anymore. You know, his son started driving someone else's cab. He couldn't he, he couldn't afford a new a new car, which the rules demanded. And then the pandemic hit. Mm-hmm. You know, business collapsed as it did everywhere for for cab drivers. Um, he was he he had been doing some airport runs, but when there's no fl- when there's no flights, there's no business. And he got sick, and he got sick with what. Probably was COVID, and so he stopped driving cab. Uh, he went on the Serb for a little bit. He's told me, and uh, he finally quit. He finally he never went back to driving cab. So Hassan, the, you know, the, the taxi sheriff, is now selling uh, televisions and, and electronics in a, in a little shop in Montreal. You know, he lost that 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 fight that he'd been he'd been waging a, a, against both Uber and the and the forces that allowed Uber to operate. He lost that battle. He's, he's sad. He's, he still has his uh, his his tin star, uh, his sheriff's his sheriff's badge. He still keeps as as a souvenir. Um, but he's he's no, he, he no longer drives cab in Montreal. That's such a sad ending. Is he at least remembered um, as kind of a legendary tale amongst cabbies in Montreal? I believe that he is. I believe that everyone everyone in the in the industry knows. Uh, knows Hassan Katawa. They know about the taxi sheriff. However, they didn't always support him in the ways that he needed to be supported, right? Like a lot of these operations that he would do, uh, people were afraid. People were afraid of getting arrested. People were afraid of getting in trouble. People were, people were afraid of losing their licenses. And so he he often felt really alone in this campaign against Uber and and, and the government. Um, and and yeah, I think he's he, he's resentful sometimes about about how he could have had some more support from his you know his taxi driving colleagues than he actually got. Forgive me, but he needed some taxi deputies. <laughs> he needed some deputies. And you know, the, the last time I talked to him for the book, he uh, he was saying how starting to drive cab was the biggest mistake that he had made. He was saying that he could have invested and bought a Tim Hortons, you know, franchise right. of Tim Hortons, and he would he would have made more money than that. He could have bought a house that would have would have would have increased in value and and as well. Like he he considered it to be the biggest mistake he made in his life was ever starting to drive cab. And it was very sad because I think there was a part of him that enjoyed the work. There was there was certainly a part of him that enjoyed the battle. Like when he was explaining these these uh, operations to me, he was just giddy with his with his own <laughs> at his own cleverness. Um, and it was sad to see him hang up that badge and to stop driving. It's probably um, 
aside from the taxi sheriff thing, like it's probably a sadly familiar tale amongst people who were driving cab when Uber came along. Yes. Um, a lot of drivers that I spoke to for this book said to me that they expect the traditional taxi industry to be gone within five years. Now, I don't know if that's true, um, but they really feel they're at the end of, they're at the edge of the cliff. This is no this will no longer be a viable career for anybody anymore. That's what that's the fear. Again, I'm not sure about that, but uh, these drivers don't see a future. Well, I'm excited to read uh, their stories in the rest of the book. Thanks again for joining us, Marcello. Well, thanks for having me. Marcello DeCintio is the author of Driven, Secret Lives of Taxi Drivers. That was The Big Story. For more from us, head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. Find us on Twitter at TheBigStoryFPN. Of course, you can email us anytime, thebigstorypodcast, all one word, and all lowercase at rci.rogers.com. And of course, we are wherever you get your podcasts. On Apple, on Google, on Stitcher, on Spotify, on your favorite smart speaker. All you have to do is ask it to play The Big Story Podcast. Stephanie Phillips, Claire Brassard, and Ryan Clark produce The Big Story. Joseph Fish joins us this week as an associate producer. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. Thanks for listening. Have a safe long weekend, and we'll talk on Tuesday. In 2007... TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now.